my prepared message was not ready for the what happened in worship today, the music, and the recognition of you fine fellows and the work you could you do, and for Lisa. So I want to shift gears a little bit. I think today's a day of remembering. In Hebrew, the word remember means to make present, to make present. And so when in the Old Testament, Israel is called on to remember what God has done, there was a sense that in that act of remembering, God was truly there among them. It's a very Quaker idea. So this morning, I want to imagine that Christ, as we remember him, is seated somewhere right over there. Because I imagine that, in my mind, I imagine Jesus being among the people rather than necessarily being up front, because there's something about the presence of Christ that tends to draw us to himself, and in drawing, each of us draws us closer to one another. And as they also have this idea that in remembering, that remembering the people who are part of their community, they were somehow present as well. And I don't understand the mechanics of all that, but People from our past are somehow present as well. And so I'm imagining Lisa right there today. And I wonder this morning if there's other names that you'd want to say out loud, people you remember from this community who are such a vital part of what God has done here. Would you say any names out loud today? We could spend more time and name more names, and I imagine you spoke those names because those people touched you in some sort of way. They impacted your lives in ways that changed you. I didn't grow up in the church, and so every time I gather for worship on Sunday morning, I think about the miracle that takes place here. This community and what God does through ordinary people like you all and the community that's formed here. In the context of a congregation like this, this is where our experience of the living Christ is nurtured. 
This is where we really come to know and experience the living God. How to commune with God, how to walk with God, how to be personally changed and transformed into the image of Christ. It's here in the context of these relationships that we're tutored in the graces of Christian discipleship. Where we really have to, not just have to, but we get to learn how to love one another. How to forgive each other. How to pray for each other. To hold each other accountable. To serve one another. All the one another phrases that that are strewn throughout the New Testament, and there's hundreds of them, that we're to, to one another each other in a particular way because we're followers of Christ. This is the laboratory in which we get to do that. Those things that are so easy to say and so stinking hard to do, this is the place where we get to practice that. And this is the place where God equips and enables us and empowers us to go back out into the world to be light in the darkness, to make a difference, to be a part of of what God is seeking to do in the world. And I just am always struck by the miraculous nature of that. But we live in a time where we kind of think about church and being part of a, a community is, meh, it's okay. But I think it's because we forget, we forget, we don't remember. We don't remember who God is among us, what God is calling us to be, and what God is calling us to do. And so miss out on the miraculous. I've been reading, uh, thinking recently, I, I was reading a book by a fellow named Andy Crouch who wrote a book called Culture Making. And one of the interesting things he says in the book is, um, is how the notion of changing the world is a more recent phenomenon than it than it was a long-time thing. In the Harvard University Library System in 2004, they had over a million and a half titles in that collection of books. There are about 220 titles that contained in it the idea of changing the world. Interestingly, half of, uh, more than a third of those books were written after the year 2000. Another 101 of those 220 were written in the 1990s. And from there backwards, that number drops off really rapidly. And so when you get back to 1900, how many books do you think were written about changing the world before around 1900 or earlier? Zero. There weren't any. This week, I I Google searched the phrase, change the world, and I came back with 1.9 billion hits. 1.9 billion hits. Articles you could find, resources you can find about changing the world. Lots of ideas about what needs to change and how we're going to get it done. And I'm sure it's only a matter of time before it's all going to be better, or at least changed. Now, I confess, part of what drew me to Quakerism in the early, in the early mid-'80s and to Christianity a couple of years before that was our sense of optimism, and hope that, that we are part of what God is doing in the world. God is at work renewing and reconciling all of creation. And when it came to the Quakers, I loved the fact that they recognized that they were meant to be part of this great work. That they knew in their bones that God was so alive to them that it was meant to transform their lives. And so powerfully that it would transform the way they lived in community with each other and even enable them to go out into the world to be part of this restored creation. 
That's who the Quakers recognized they were to be. And so I love this sense of our identity, and I'm glad to be a part of a community that refuses to retreat from the world, that fights against being cynical and apathetic, but instead tries to be actively engaged and passionately and courageously involved in God's work. Well, the thing that scares me about this sometimes is the way we get um, sideways with it. And we get kind of consumed by a misguided optimism and simple solution. I love your little catchphrase as a church that we live in a complicated world, one requiring simple faith. Simple faith, though, is very different than a simple solution. And so it's your faithfulness that I'm attracted to. And in your history, seeing how very ordinary people, some of the people you mentioned, some of the names that we've forgotten, had a, had a profound influence on, on the lives of people who lived in this area. Think with me for just a second about all the life-changing, and I would argue history-changing um, things that actually just happened in this room alone, of people who came to faith, of marriages that were happening, or forgiveness that was granted when people got into conflicts with one another of eyes that were open to new truth, to uh, seeds of faith that were sprouted. This is a holy place, not because you call it a sanctuary or because it, or because it looks any particular way, but because God consistently showed up here. God consistently showed up here, and you responded in faithfulness to what God is doing. Well, that passage that Thomas read this morning is one that's intrigued me for some time. And I want to think, I want to reflect on it for just a couple of moments. And I want to read it in a different version. This is the cotton patch version of 1 Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, But you, servant of God, turn your back on all the distractions that are nagging at you, all of your worries and fears. Set your heart, or to say it another way, fix your eyes on justice, honest religion, faith, love, steadiness, unswerving loyalty. Put all you've got into faith's noble struggle. Stand on tiptoe to get into the spiritual life into which you were invited and which you so nobly accepted in front of many others who have done the same. And then he says this, before the face of God, who makes all everything alive. And before Christ Jesus, I plead with you to keep the new commandment untainted and without compromise until Jesus shows up. Paul charges Timothy to live his life in the presence of God. And he's talking to this young pastor, his protege, trying to remind him in the midst of a complex, complicated world with all of its stress and all of its confounding issues, that the one thing he can do is to fix his eyes or to set his heart on the, on the thing that matters most, the presence of God in his life. He's ministering in the church uh, or in the town of Ephesus, teaching, leading, trying to help a group of new believers try to figure out how do we live in the world as Christ followers and, and, and not be conformed to the culture around us. They're trying to figure out stuff like how do we organize, how do we get along, how do we not get addicted to money and stuff. Thank God, all the things that we figured out that we don't have any problem with. But in their time and day, these remained significant issues. And it was 
a challenge to them. So in the Latin version of the New Testament, that phrase, the presence or sight of God, is translated quorum Deo. That's what I want you to go home with today, that we are called to live our lives quorum Deo, before the face of God. It means very explicitly that we are to live our lives not passively but actively, each and every moment, under the gaze of God, within the watchful presence of the God who loves us and who calls us and who seeks to draw us into a life of intimacy. To live quorum Deo means that we go along with this profound and constant understanding that our, our lives are, are connected to this presence of Christ. It, it, to me, relates to the Hebrew notion of worship, which is to live our lives with our hearts bowed before God. That's what worship is. Not as an event, but as a way of life. We're to live our lives with our hearts bowed before God. And so Paul calls on Timothy to simply remember this. He's not asking him to do some amazing, necessary thing that gets him a lot of notoriety, that everybody recognizes and notices, that, that changes the world in one dramatic moment. He's simply saying, take your ordinary life, the one that you live every day. You give it as a gift to God, all you do and say. That's a simple chorus that I love. Take your ordinary life. It comes right out of Romans chapter 12. You take your life and you give it as a gift to God. And in the process of doing that, God takes that ordinariness, that everyday ordinariness of your life, the sleeping, the eating, the relating, the stuff that makes up your day, And God is able to transform it. God is able to use it in what I would consider the very way that God is is going going about changing the world. Not through the dramatic action that that shows up on the news, but through the day-to-day faithfulness of individuals who are open to the work of God through them. To congregations that are willing to be so engaged with one another, so focused on the presence of Christ, that they become a living alternative to the craziness that is a part of our world, the complication that is a part of our world. God creates a simple group of people who, through the way that they love each other and give themselves to one another, open up a window and even a door into heaven and provide a home for people like me who were, who were looking and searching to see if this Jesus person was actually real. And then to show up in a community like that and find this is exactly where he's living. He's living among them, he's living through them, and it changed my life. Well, as you do this every day, that's how God is at work reconciling all of creation. So friends, this morning, I want to ask you, Do you, as individuals, live your life quorum Deo? Do you recognize that God is is there for you? Do you look up and see? Do you flee the things that are a hindrance and a distraction? And do you run to the arms of the God who's waiting to embrace you? That's what it means for you. Do you live your lives quorum Deo among yourselves? 
Do you move toward each other as you move toward Christ? Are you open to how God is, is emerging and being made manifest through one another's, through one another? And do you live your life, Coram Deo, for the sake of the community that is around you, that's watching and wondering? Not only was Christ part of your past through all of the wonderful things that Deep River did and was, but is Christ present with you now? Is Christ present with you as you move into the future, as you walk faithfully with him? Well, my prayer for you um, as, I'm, as I've been down here is that you will, in fact, embody this reality. The living presence of Christ will be seen in and through you in all you say and do. Thank you.